Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 315 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. As always, I remind you guys to make sure that you subscribe. You click that little notification bell so that you never miss a live video. And uh, likes, ratings, reviews, we all appreciate it. This is a word of mouth show. We don't do ads here, right? So uh, at least with the live video, we don't do ads. And I could bombard you guys with 10 minutes of ads and I could break the show up every 15 minutes and do a bunch of ads like a lot of the favorite podcasts you listen to. We don't do that here. So we ask the fee. It's non-monetary. All I ask is that you guys share word about the show. Post it on your social media. Get the word out there. That's how we grow this thing, man. It's organic. We don't buy our followers. We don't do any of that nonsense over here, right? 100% organically built. That is what TNC is. So again, this is TNC 315 for the week of, well, hell, it's the last week of May. And we got uh, the big pay-per-view showdown this weekend. Or maybe not. Um, I'll talk about, uh, of course, I'll preview everything coming up this weekend. And I'll review what took place last weekend. Um, we had mostly showcase matchups last weekend, but that card over in London, a really good developmental fight for light heavyweight prospect Joshua Boatze, um, who I thought, you know, passed a really, really good test. So we'll get into all that. But first, a little bit of news and notes. And uh, I got to have a little bit of trolling, a little bit of fun. I I've been having some fun on Twitter the last few days. I'll share some tweets and some polls with you guys. Because it's a it's a slow week, man. It's it's a slow week, you know. I for a handful of people out there, this is like Christmas week for them, right? But for the rest of us, we understand it's, it's kind of a slow week, regardless if if fights are on pay per view or not. So, uh, all right, let's get right into news and notes, and let's start with um, some actual news, and I'll get into some fun trolling stuff. But uh, Golden Boy Promotions and DAZN agreed to extend their current deal so this is really good news for golden boy promotions and i think it's good for the zone they need content so uh they've already have a multi-year deal they're basically extending it and of course that's going to include championship level fights but also development developmental fights for prospects that golden boy has and golden boy really has a good what i would call farm system to use a baseball analogy they have a lot of guys that you know triple a double a single a ball and then uh they got the major league uh, major leaguers, right? So um, I think that it's really, really cool that they have it broken out like that. It's it's great that they have this deal extended and they can get back to producing uh, quality content. And that includes a lot of the prospect developmental shows that they do in and around Los Angeles that are club level shows. But you do that, you also have the championship level stuff. Virgil Ortiz will get back in the ring soon. Ryan Garcia, and they got some other guys, uh, Jaime Munguia. So uh, this is good stuff, man. Good stuff. Very, very glad to hear it. Also, uh, a little bit of uh, pay-per-view buy bro news. Uh, Canelo and Bevel, apparently it did about around 600,000 pay-per-view buys on The Zone. What's funny is there's certain people on boxing Twitter in the boxing social media universe who are saying, oh, I don't believe those numbers. They're doubling it, right? Those are the same people that believe, um, you know, Javante Davis and Isaac Cruz did 300,000 pay-per-view buys or whatever it was reported as. That didn't even break 100,000. I have it from multiple reliable sources. This really did around 600,000 or just over 600,000 pay-per-view buys. And when you consider that it was on DAZN, which is an app, 
right? Uh, we've been told by certain boxing platforms and media members uh, for years that nobody wants to watch an app, right? It's not going to succeed. This is the first pay-per-view that DAZN has done, at least here in the United States, um, which goes back on their word that they weren't going to do pay-per-views. So the, the fan reaction was generally negative. The fact that they were able to sell 600,000 pay-per-views between Canelo and a relatively unknown fighter in Dimitri Bivol, I think speaks volumes. Now, look, Canelo did 800,000 pay-per-view buys with a relatively unknown fighter, Caleb Plant, in his last fight. He did more pay-per-view buys there, but that was what? on Was that on Fox or Showtime? I can't even remember. Either way, it was on regular <coughs> television, whether it was regular uh, network TV on Fox or a premium cable Showtime. I honestly can't remember which one it was. Still, that that that's a, there's a built-in um, infrastructure there, right? And Fox or Showtime, whichever one it was, is in millions and mil- tens of millions of more homes. So to do 800,000 on a platform like that and then do 600,000 on an app that isn't nearly in as many homes uh, that is, you know, casual fans don't necessarily know about as much. I think it's a pretty good number. Overall, that's a pretty good number. It's a pretty good start for DAZN. By the way, I absolutely hate that DAZN is in the pay-per-view business. It disgusts me. And I thought that that pay-per-view should have been cheaper for DAZN subscribers uh, especially loyal to zone subscribers who have been there the whole whole time, like I have. And um, I hated that ads ran all the way through it. So there's plenty to clean up over there, but I'm just reporting the numbers. Uh, that's a that's a pretty significant accomplishment for the zone. What does that mean for the future and of how they're going to do business? We shall see. Sticking with Canelo News, apparently, uh, you know, it was announced, it was announced today on several media platforms, you know, as breaking news that Canelo is going to fight Golovkin this September. And I'm like, Yo, is this really breaking news? Number one, it's not official yet. I mean, it's been a, it's, it's been signed and agreed to in principle for months. We've already known that, right? But this isn't official yet. So everyone can pump the brakes. It's not officially official quite yet. Unless I'm missing something, you guys can correct me. But um, I just find it funny, all the breaking news headlines. I've been telling you guys for months. Actually, I've been telling you guys since last year that this fight was going to happen, right? It it was obvious to anybody who's been paying attention that they're going to go in this direction. I think it makes perfect sense. I know that there are some people that have Canelo Triple G fatigue. I understand that. But for all of you saying this is going to be a complete wipeout by Canelo and he's going to destroy Golovkin in three or four rounds – you are you're mistaken. This is going to be a very competitive fight. In fact, I would favor it going the distance if I were a betting man, which I'm not. Uh, my original gut feel is this is another distance fight where you have plenty of two-way action between both guys. Commercially, it's still one of the biggest fights that can be made in boxing. It's still a better option for Canelo than anybody else from 160 to 175 in terms of commercial appeal in dollars, you know, box office dollars. Same thing with the zone, same thing for everybody involved, including Golovkin, obviously. It's the best choice that everybody involved can make. And let's remember this, folks. Canelo is the undisputed super middleweight champion of the world. Golovkin is the unified uh, middleweight title holder. So him moving up to 168, 
if Golovkin does lose, and all of you are right, and Golovkin, Golovkin gets pulverized in three rounds, which, again, I don't think is going to happen. But even if it goes the distance, we have another close, controversial decision that Golovkin falls short on. He's still the unified middleweight title holder, and he makes tens of millions of dollars against Canelo. He goes back down to 160 next year and can defend those unified titles against the likes of Jaime Munguia, or perhaps they can convince uh, Jamal Charlo to cross the street or you know do some kind of cross-promotional thing with him. Who knows? There's still massive options for Golovkin. And for Canelo, obviously, if he defends this, this undisputed championship against Golovkin, he's got a ton of options um, at 68 and 75 going into 2023. So uh, this is just really, really smart business for everyone involved. Dimitri Bevel put a little bit of a I don't know if he – I wouldn't say he ruined this fight at all. Uh, in fact, some people are arguing that he did, and he kind of you know, took a little uh, luster or a little shine off of the fight by beating Canelo. But I would argue that – and I have argued this already – the odds are tighter now because Canelo is coming off a loss. And there's a lot of people that recently saw Golovkin win and win emphatically, unifying titles in Japan. And they recently saw Canelo lose and lose emphatically in Las Vegas. So. People have recency bias, I think they call it, you know, seeing things that just happened and forgetting about things that may have happened just before that. And I think with all that coming in, it makes this third fight, which I'm calling the rubber match. I don't give a shit what the Nevada commission wants to call it. I'm calling it the rubber match. It makes the rubber match that much more appealing. And I actually think it's going to do big business. Look, if Canelo Beevil does 600,000 buys, I think you can expect Canelo and Golovkin to do at least that. If we're proven wrong, if I'm proven wrong on that, and it does significantly less than Canelo Beevil, I think that will show that the fans really, truly were burnt out on this matchup and just didn't want to see it. But I got to think there's more commercial box office appeal to a Canelo-Golovkin rubber match, especially considering everything I just said about recent career trajectories, versus the um, interest, the fan interest, the box office appeal coming into the Canelo Bevel fight. So I, I think this is going to do numbers. I think everyone's going to be happy. And DAZN will be in the black by the end of the year, which is something they haven't been able to do so far, at least not since COVID. So um, so this is a big, big, big deal. Okay. Now let's have some fun with some trolling. Okay. Um, first of all, I gotta share this with you guys. So um Trevor Bryan is fighting uh uh, Dubois this week. Brian Dubois fighting for one of the 5,000 WBA heavyweight belts. And I just had to share this fight poster with you guys <laughs> because it's so bad. I, lo I love this. And I apologize to people listening on audio because you can't see this. But if you follow me on Twitter, I, I must have tweeted this poster out five times today. I apologize for those of you who uh, had to see this over and over. But I'm looking, and oh, oh, by the way, I'm sorry, they're fighting June 11th, uh, the dates right here on the poster. They're not fighting this weekend. I, I may have said they're fighting this weekend. They're fighting next month. But I'm looking at this poster, and it looks like it's straight up from the, the 90s, from the 1990s. And I'm not talking about 98, 99. I'm talking about like 90, 91. The Kid and Play House Party 1 movie poster had better graphics than this fucking thing. It's hilarious. And, you know, 
Don King is a multimillionaire. I don't know why he's still involved in boxing. I, I really don't know why. He should just be enjoying his retirement instead of doing these shows that no one's watching. These are club-level shows. And I know for a fact that there are club-level shows, uh, club shows all across America, all around the world, that do significantly more numbers than these recent shows he's been doing. So I don't know why he's still doing it, but whatever. If that's what keeps him going and happy and, and feeling young, good for you, Don. But it's so obvious he went to one of his friends and just said, you know, hey, Bill, can you make this poster? And yeah, I got you, Don. And this dude went on his old 15, 20-year-old, you know, Mac or whatever, and or maybe it's a PC, and Windows Vista is on there or some shit, some ancient, uh, you know, um, what do they call it, operating system. This does. This isn't even Photoshop that they used to do this. I have no idea what program this is, but this is so fucking bad. And I'm looking at it, and they're calling it the fight for freedom and peace. There's something about Don King that he wants to have every fight be for peace. I want to say Trevor Bryan's last fight was dedicated to peace. And he's done this with, I think, Berman Stavern several times. But I found this, and I actually still have this fight poster because I covered this event pretty extensively. I was there when Berman Stavern fought Chris Ariola back uh, in 2014 at the Galen Center, which is where the USC Trojans play their basketball games. And um, in fact, me and my wife Tiffany had had really just started dating when um, when this happened. I remember that. We had just started dating. And it was one of the, probably the first event that we like went to together where she kind of was, you know, kicking me in the butt, like, hey, you should do this more. You should, you should, you know, start doing this full time instead of just part time. Anyway, uh, so I always remember it, you know, this event will stand out. But you see right here on the fight poster, it says the fight for peace. So that was eight years ago. That was the fight for peace. Don King has had several fights for peace since then. But this Brian Dubois is the fight for freedom and peace. So I guess if just fighting for peace isn't enough. It's not enough. You got to fight for freedom and peace to really, really get it done. But man, I thought just seeing this poster, I've just been laughing at it all day. I had to tweet it out and troll a little bit. I actually tweeted uh, battle of the fight posters. And I compared this one to the fight poster for Baturbiev and Smith. Obviously I was trolling because I was asking people which poster is better. And um, <laughs> there were people out there that answered me like seriously and they're like man how could you even compare these two and I, i'm laughing because i'm like man people have zero sarcasm meter on twitter like they zero just research me for three minutes do a quick google search and look it into my history just a little bit and you'd probably be able to tell that i'm joking but these guys they're everyone's so reactionary on twitter you know so I, i've been tweeting polls and stuff all weekend um, with uh, about the upcoming uh, pay-per-view extravaganza between Javante Davis and Rolando Romero, which is a complete shit show, right? And I'm just having fun with it. And some people are taking it way too seriously. I got to show you some of these polls. I won't even. I won't go through all the responses and all that because it would just. I could do an hour-long video. Trust me. But I got to show you guys some of these polls because I think you'll get a kick out of it. Oh, wait a second. What the hell did I just do? I am obviously, obviously stupid. All right, hang on. Let me share my screen again. Technical difficulties. Okay, here we go. Check this out. I tweeted this. Which is the bigger, better, more important fight in your opinion? Okay, I tweeted this out Saturday. 
Tyson Fury versus the Usyk AJ2 winner or Tank versus Rowley. Now, obviously, I'm joking because anybody who knows anything about boxing understands that these two events are not on the same stratosphere, right? Anybody would realize that. 14% of people still said Tank versus Rowley. Now, some of you guys were probably trolling, but I could go through all the quote tweets and show you where people are like, how is this guy paid to write about boxing? Oh my God, you know, this, that, the other thing. People thought I was being serious. And I, you know, I couldn't help it. I had to troll a little bit this weekend and have some fun because I just saw uh, some of the, the propaganda around this fight. And by the way, I'm going to give a very, very fair and honest breakdown and preview of that fight later on in the show. And it's, it's, it's going to be the good, the bad, the ugly. Okay, I'm going to keep it real. But here's another poll I, I, I posted. Uh, which fight is the more historical, generational, pound-for-pound matchup that you'll be telling your grandson about one day? Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence or Tank versus Raleigh? 20% of you almost said Tank versus Raleigh. Uh, most of you guys totally understood that I was joking. Unfortunately, some of you did not. All right, I'm going to share one more. And then I promise we're going to move on, but I got to have some fun here. Uh, it's been, it's been fun. Just trolling again, slow week on slow weeks. We troll, we have a little bit of fun. So this is my most fun, um, Paul. And I, I says, if a magic genie were to offer you a choice of one of these three wishes, which would you choose? For me, the choice is obvious. And then shoot uh, option one, receive $1 billion tax-free option two: have a threesome with Selma Hayek and Shakira. Option three, you guessed it, watch Tank versus Raleigh pay-per-view. 26% of you with that answer. And this one really, really triggered people. I got a lot of shit. Um, some people were really, really butthurt. Um, but again, I had a great time just trolling the hell out of these people. And again, I'm not hating on the fight. What The thing that I'm making fun of with these polls is not the fighters themselves. I got nothing against the fighters. In fact, I'm a fan of Javante Davis when he fights. I'm having fun with the fans, some of their fanboys and their management team and just the, the hype and the propaganda that comes out of there because um, it's insane. It's just insane. All right, real quick, a couple super chats and then we'll move on to the fight review. We got a super chat from Aaron. Thank you so much, Aaron. He says, Mike, Pascal Mang and Boatsy Richards were excellent scraps. Nice seeing Pauli Malignaggi on the mic and interesting, to say the least, to see Ade Aladipo's continued presence on Matchroom the Zone. I think I got that right. Um, speaking of Jean Pascal and, and Fenlong uh, Meng, or Fenlong Meng, um, good scrap, lots of action. I just I don't want to talk about it because, in my opinion, Jean Pascal should not be fighting. It hasn't even been a year since this guy was busted for not one, not two, but four, four steroids in the system. Dude had four steroids in the system. The fact that he even fought in a sanctioned bout this past weekend is really jacked up, in my opinion. And look, he's going to get another fight after this. you know. So, so this dude had a cocktail of drugs in his system. He should be suspended for at least a year. Dude's back in the ring already. It, it's insane. Um, so I, I'm not, I don't even want to talk about Pascal, but Buatsi Richards, totally agree with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break that one down in just a minute, okay? Another super chat from, from Aaron. Thank you again, brother. He says, 
Do you think someone who defies the leftist agenda could get hired to commentate big fights in the U.S.? Aaron, I don't want to get political, but I want to respect your super chat. Um, all I'm going to say there is just look at the recent track record of events as it relates to certain commentators and certain networks and some of the, dare I say, hypocritical reaction and, and action from some of the network executives uh, as it relates to some of their talents. Because there are certain people, let's take Showtime, for example. Some people were fired for speaking about certain political items. Other people are still on the broadcast that regularly tweet about politics on their timeline all the time and are just as far to one side as a former person uh, who was fired is, just in the opposite direction, and they still have a job. So I do think that that pretty much will speak for itself. And I say that as a guy who considers myself a classical liberal. Okay, uh, another Super Chat pledge from Israel Kano Jr. Thank you so much, Israel. He says, excited for the rubber match. Let's go, Triple G. See, there you go. There's going to be millions of people out there who are excited about this fight around the world. And casual fans, diehard fans, MMA fans, people know who Canelo is. They know who Golovkin is. They know about this history. And again, with the recent trajectory what guys have done in the ring this year, it makes the fight intriguing. It's also for an undisputed championship. That's intriguing too. So um, all things considered, I think the fight's going to do numbers and that, that's going to drive some people that, who have agendas crazy. In fact, uh, some of that started on Twitter already uh, after David Benavidez won this weekend. And now uh, suddenly he's, the boogeyman. Although a lot of people wouldn't mention his name for years, but now they're mentioning his name. It's interesting the way things change. So let's get into this, man. Let's do this review and let's talk about it. Okay. So last Saturday, May 21st, uh, there were three major events around the world. Let's start with the event over in London from Matchroom Boxing O2 Arena. This was broadcast on the zone, obviously. And in the main event, Joshua Buatzi improves to 16 and 0 with a unanimous decision win over Craig Richards at a 10-round light heavyweight fight. Scores were 116-112, 115-113, twice. I thought those were good scores. Um, You know, 115-113 may be a little better because it was tight, but you can make an argument for 116-112. You really could. But once he won the fight, this wasn't a robbery. It was a tougher fight than expected for some people. But for me, what I saw here was outstanding matchmaking from. Uh, matchroom and a great developmental type of win for Boazzi who had KO'd his last 10 opponents coming in. So people go into these things again with recency bias and thinking about what they have seen in the past and where they were expecting this dominant stoppage type of win from Boazzi, or at least that's what they wanted. When they didn't get it, when they saw him actually get hit at times, getting his head a little bit, thinking at times, there were certain times where he was um, uh, maybe a little slow to pull the trigger, maybe uh, a little gun shy, but he worked through that. And I thought that he won this fight. Remember this about Richards. Craig Richards went the distance with Dimitri Bevel just last year. So he's no pushover, right? He's lost a few times, but he's never been stopped. He goes the distance. He has shown that he's a tricky kind of boxer, crafty boxer, and um, he's, he's fairly skilled. 
This was a good developmental win for Boatsy. I don't know what you guys want. Some of you, I saw some people on Twitter just shitting all over this uh, Boatsy and saying, you know, oh my God, you got exposed in this fight or, or this was a robbery. First of all, it wasn't a robbery. The right man won. Second of all, this is what a prospect needs. If you just get in there and level everybody and you're just getting everything your way, you're not going to develop. You're not going to get better. These 10 rounds are going to make this kid a better fighter. Trust me. Okay. I've seen this before. So this was good stuff. I, I, I don't know. Some of the stuff I saw on Twitter was a little weird. I, I didn't quite understand it. All right. Let's get over to America where there, there are two shows. And in the main event of both of these shows, it was really a foregone conclusion. We knew what was going to happen. Let's start over in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Glendale, which is just outside of Phoenix to be specific. TGB Promotions, the Gila River Arena. This was broadcast on Showtime. And in the main event, David Benavidez scores a TKO3 win over David Lemieux, wins the interim WBC Super Middleweight Championship for the 467th time. The WBC just gives this kid chance after chance after chance. They're desperate for him to uh, get in there with the ring against Canelo or another top guy. Uh, Then there's several reasons for this. I'm not going to get into all the politics behind it. But good crowd showed up for this fight. David Benavidez has shown, despite some of the issues outside the ring and some of the inconsistent performances inside of it, he has shown two things. He's probably the top challenge at 168, and some of us have been saying that for several years, including before Canelo went on his historical super middleweight undisputed championship run. I've been telling you guys belt or no belt. Benavidez was probably the toughest challenge for him or any of the other top guys at 168, unless Dimitri Bivol can make 168 in a healthy way. Then I think he beats Benavidez, but of all the guys at 168 right now, and I've been saying this for years, Benavidez is the top challenge. So he's proven that. Also, he's proven that he's a brand there in Phoenix, and that's important. That's very important. He has developed a brand. There was a good crowd there for this fight. This was obviously a one-sided matchup. This was going to be a a blowout win. Everybody knew it. They still showed up. There were lines around the door, and a lot of the fans were there for fight week activities, You know, stuff stuff like the weigh-in and things like that. So it shows that there in his hometown, Benavidez has built himself into a name brand. I think he could be a lot bigger. I think he could be everything that Terrence Crawford is in Omaha, Nebraska. I think Benavidez could be that in Phoenix. I don't think he's been developed quite right. Um, Probably signed with the wrong promotion when he went pro. But be that as it may, he is now in line to get a crack at the WBC title holder, which is Canelo Alvarez. But obviously the WBC is not going to get in the way of a Canelo Golovkin rubber match. So we're going to see that first. So should Canelo win? Should Golovkin win? Doesn't really matter. Benavidez is in line to face the winner if they want to keep their WBC belt after this September. Okay. So um, he's in a good position now. Let's talk about the actual fight. Uh, David Lemieux, a lot of people on Twitter immediately started posting David Benavidez is the boogeyman. Oh, no one's going to fight him. Canelo's ducking him. He's taking the easy route. He just fought Bevel, and now he's going to fight Golovkin, right? They weren't saying this before. And when when Golov, or, uh, sorry, when Canelo went after um, 
Caleb Plant for that last 168 title. Nobody was mentioning David Benavidez. And I was one of the guys saying, hey, Caleb Plant's good, but Benavidez is better. I think Benavidez would beat Plant. But, go, you know, Canelo's going for the belts. But that doesn't mean he's fighting the best super middleweight challenges out there because I think guys like Benavidez, and I did mention Bevel, were better. I've always thought that. But now, because people have agendas, now they're going to start building up David Benavidez as this um, killer, right? And, he, and he's being ducked and he's being avoided. And nobody wants to fight him, this, that, the other thing. Let's put into context what he did this weekend. David Lemieux was knocked down in the second round, fought bravely, but stupidly. I think Lemieux knew there's no way he was going to win a boxing match against this guy. I think he just kind of wanted to get it over with. That's what I saw. And I'm not trying to diss Lemieux. He's got balls of steel. He agreed to take this fight. Many others wouldn't have. He knew what he was up against. He got one last good payday, I hope. I hope they paid him well, gave him some some money under the table, um, and hooked him up with the Canadian rights and things like that. I hope he got that secured. But it seems to me when in there saying, I'm going to give it a shot in the first couple rounds and go balls to the wall, this guy will probably knock me out. And then we can all go home. That's that's just what I saw. That's the that's the body language I saw. Anyway, since Lemieux lost to Billy Joe Saunders in 2017, that was at 160. He's fought nobody of note. He fought a couple more times at 160, including a fight against um, uh, Spike O'Sullivan. That's the most noteworthy opponent he has fought. Right, beat him, but. You know, Spike O'Sullivan, I love following. He's awesome on Twitter. He's a great guy. He's hilarious, and he's been in some fun fights. But he's not on the elite level. We know this. But from 2019 to 2021, coming into this fight against uh, Benavidez, uh, Lemieux had fought three times against incredibly weak opposition. So he fought once in 19, once in 20, once in 21. And those were at 168, but against very, very weak opposition, right? Club-level type opponents. He hadn't been in there with a high-level opponent since 2017, which was at 160, when Billy Joe Saunders shut him out over 12 rounds. So this is a guy who, he was a prospect at 54, but developed into a real 160. He was a legitimate middleweight. Always kind of short for middleweight, five foot nine, but strong. He's a thick guy. Kind of built like Canelo, honestly. A little bit taller, but kind of built like Canelo. And um, strong puncher, really good left hook. Uh, had some highlight reel, you know, knockout of the year type of knockouts in his career. Has carved out a good career for himself. Had a uh, a belt for the belt for a while, a world championship belt, but that was all at 160, and that was years ago. Gennady Golovkin destroyed this guy in 2015 when he was at the peak of his powers. We are now seven years removed from that. David Benavidez destroyed him too, but it's 2022, and this is at 168. And Lemieux's been through wars. He's taken a lot of punishment, blows up in weight sometimes in between fights, you know, lives kind of hard outside of the ring sometimes. Um, again, no disrespect to him. It's just the reality. So people need to pump the brakes just a little bit on the hype that Benavidez is getting. To, to David Benavidez's credit, he did what he was supposed to do. He sold tickets. He got in there and, and stopped this guy real quick. He made short work of it. It was entertaining. It was exciting. It was explosive. Okay. So he did everything he was supposed to do. I'm not trying to hate on it at all. It's just some of the hype around it on Twitter and whatnot. I think people are exaggerating just a little bit what this fight was and need to keep things in context. What I want to see from Benavidez 
is I want to see him in there against Jamal Charlo or Caleb Plant next. We all know Canelo is going to fight Golovkin this fall. That's what's going to happen, all right? So if you're Benavidez, I don't want to see him in there against another opponent like this. He needs to fight Plant or Charlo. That's what should happen. Will it happen? I don't know. But I think a fight between him and Plant is very marketable. Plant lives in Las Vegas now. And um, obviously, you know, Benavidez is from Phoenix. So if they did it out there in uh, maybe Vegas wouldn't be seen as neutral territory. I don't know. I mean, technically, Plant is from Tennessee, right? So I would think it's neutral territory, but maybe they want to take that fight to LA, whatever. It would do numbers. That fight is marketable and it works. They could also go to Texas or something and do a fight between Benavidez and Charlo. I think that would work. We know Jermel Charlo is probably going to move up to 160 soon because there are some challenges there at 154 he doesn't want to take. So at 160, uh, when, when he moves up, Jermel is going to move up to 168. I really hope PBC pulls the trigger on this. It makes it happen because these are fights that should have happened two or three years ago, if we're being honest. So that's what I want to see from Benavidez next. Now, let's go to Las Vegas where uh, Top Rank had a card at the Resorts World Las Vegas on ESPN. Let's talk about this co-main real quick. And by the way, I covered this event for Ring Magazine, so my recaps are there on ringtv.com if you want to just read what I thought about these fights right as they were happening, the notes I took down, and my posts right after the fight, and get some quotes from the fighters, some punch stats, all that good stuff. Go check out my recaps there. But in the co-main, a slight upset as a much younger Jermaine Ortiz scores a unanimous decision win over Jamel Herring in a 10-round lightweight fight. Herring, of course, held a belt recently at 130, lost to Shakur Stevenson last year in Atlanta, moved up to 135 for this fight, got with a new trainer, Manny Robles, tried to give it a new look, right? Uh, looked, looked just a step behind Shakur Stevenson when they fought the, the entire fight, but he really gave it his all. And then I think him and his team said, let's go, let's go one more time. And we're going to we're gonna change trainers. We're going to change camps. We're going to move up in weight to 135 so it's more comfortable making weight. And we don't have to sacrifice as much. And we're going to see what happens. And he started fairly well in this fight, won the first round. But then second, third round, Ortiz really started having moments. And into the middle, late rounds of this fight, Ortiz really started to coast. The last two rounds of this fight, he dominated. And in fact, in the 10th round, I remember this statistic, Ortiz landed 46 punches on Herring. That is the most any opponent has ever landed on Jamel Herring at any point in his career. That includes Shakur Stevenson, okay? So um, Herring just looked slow. He looked a step behind. And he looked like a guy that was kind of just going through the motions. I can relate to some of those feelings. He wasn't as cut. I mean, the dude's always ripped, but I'm saying he wasn't 130. He was 135 because he wanted to be comfortable. When you start hearing fighters talking about that, you can hear the, the you could sense things in their mentality. So right after the fight, Herring said, um, right there in the ring, you know, I don't want to make any decisions, but I don't know if I got it anymore. I'm probably going to hang him up. I might, you know, that sort of thing. And later on that night, this Saturday night, he basically tweeted out, that's it for me. I'm retiring. So if, if he does stay retired, look, Jamel's a friend of the show. He's been on several times. 
you guys know he's been on the show several times. Um, one of the more likable guys in all of boxing right now uh, of this recent, this last generation. And I think he's criminally underrated by a lot of American fight fans. This is a guy who signed up to serve his country after the terrorist attacks in 9-11, um, had a friend that served with him, his best friend, his best friend passed. So this guy has been through a lot of tragedy, man. His best friend passed. Uh, he had a daughter that passed. He's been through some things, but he represented America in the Marine Corps. He also represented America in the Olympics. People forget this guy was an Olympian. And I, I love what Top Rank did with him after PBC was kind of wasting him. Top Rank had a business plan and knew exactly how to promote him. Herring got with Terrence Bud Crawford's team, really sharpened the iron, and carved out a few good years there. Got a signature win overseas against Carl Frampton, pocketed some money, always gave an honest effort, and has just been a super cool, approachable, honest guy. So there's really like, I don't, I don't see how anybody out there could not be a fan of Jamel Herring. So uh, champ, we wish you well here at TNC and I, I hope you stay retired. You have a beautiful family. You have beautiful kids, a beautiful wife. You've got some money in the bank. You're only 36. You're still young and um, you got nothing to be ashamed of. You carved out a great career. And you lost this fight against the guy that was 10 years younger than you. It was still a close fight. It was still competitive. And, uh, you know, the fight against Stevenson, most guys in your position would have dumped that belt, not even taken that fight. So stay retired. Enjoy your life with your beautiful family, champ. Uh, you've earned it. And thank you for all you've done, both in and out of the ring, seriously. So Jamel Herring, great guy, and we wish you the best. Now, in the main event, Janibek, Adam Canuli. And by the way, they were pronouncing it, how are they pronouncing it on the show? Alam Canula? Something I, I totally forgot now. But Joe Tessitore is uh, pronouncing that name differently. And I, I guess he was pronouncing it the correct way. But um, anyway, I'm, right now, I'm just going to call him Janibek Alam Canuli. Okay. KO2 win over Danny Dignam, a UK fighter with a completely blown up resume, did not belong in the ring. This was a WBO. <laughs> WBO special because he was actually rated number three. Alm Canuli rated number two. And this was for the interim WBO middleweight belt because Jaime Munguia said, thanks, but no thanks. No way I'm fighting this dude. We don't do that over here. And um, now, now Alm Canuli is technically, because he's got this interim belt, he is in line to fight Demetrius Andrade, who to date, has not vacated his WBO middleweight belt. He did sign on to fight Parker at 168, but claimed an injury. The fight's postponed. We don't know if that fight's still happening. We don't know if Andre wants to stay at 160 or go to 168. We do know that his contract with Matrim is done, so he could be negotiating with PBC maybe. And if he signs with PBC, maybe he goes down to 160 again and fights Charlo. Maybe he goes up to 68 and fights Plant or Benavidez. Like, we, we just don't know what he's going to do. So at some point, it's up to the WBO to force him to do this fight or they strip him. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know the dates or anything like that. But at some point, you figure the BO has got to hold his feet to the fire. So I think by literally by this time next year, Janibek Alam Kanuli is going to be the WBO middleweight champion of the world. 
This fight was an absolute mismatch. Again, we knew what we were going to see. We knew that this was going to be a domination from the Kazakh fighter. Saying all that, though, it was still pretty impressive. The way he dominated, I don't think a single punch of significance landed from Dignam. Couldn't get anything in. At least Lemieux against Benavidez got a couple of shots in. But Lemieux obviously levels above Dignam, right? So we the outcome was never in doubt. But Alan Canoli still looked impressive. However, I got to say, no one's going to want to fight this guy. He's already being ducked. I understand all that. But we still haven't seen him in there against the elite. And when he when he gets in there against the elite, he's not going to look as dominant. That's how it works, guys. With these fighters that get ducked, which we saw with Golovkin, we've seen it with other guys, they're going to look dominant against the level of opposition that's willing to get in the ring with them. When they finally get in there against the elite, they may not look as dominant. The fights will be tighter, and people sometimes, it skews their opinion of those fighters. As long as they still win, they're still elite. But right now, uh, Adam Kaduli, like I would love to see him fight any of the guys at 160, the top guys. Ain't going to happen. Charlo, Andre, what? No piece of them. Neither Golovkin ne- nor Alan Canuli want to fight each other because of the cultural Kazakhstan thing. It's just not going to happen, guys. In fact, after the fight, Janabek said, I hope Triple G moves up to 168 because I want to win all the belts here at 160. There's no way I'm not going to fight Golovkin. He basically said that without saying it. And he, he mentioned that, like, in the Kazakh heritage as a younger guy, you're not going to call out an older guy like that. We're not going to fight. That's basically what he said. So um, that's not going to happen. He's going to win a belt, and he's going to toil to try to unify. It's going to be difficult. At some point, if if Golovkin does move up to 68 and dumps his two belts, maybe Alan Canuli could go after one of those other belts and try to unify. It's going to be really hard for this dude to do that because he doesn't bring economics to the table, and um, he is dangerous as hell. So he's going to have to do what Golovkin did. And I hope top rank sees that and they get this guy in the ring twice more this year. There's no reason why he can't fight again in the summer and fight again at the end of the year. I'm pretty sure he'd be willing to take short money to get in there and fight a couple more times. And he could fight on ESPN and build up his profile. If he gets in there and and knocks guys out like this, it's going to create demand for the big fights. And that's the only way he's going to get him, honestly. Okay. Let's get to, oh, actually, I got a couple super chats I got to catch up on. I want to make sure I don't miss anybody. And then we will get to the preview. And I promise I'm going to be fair. All right. I promise I'm going to be fair. Uh, Toreed Falk, thank you so much, man. He says, Janabek is the future king of 160. I agree. Looks pretty good. But I want to see him in there against an elite level fighter. We know he wants it. He's been calling out all the guys. He's been calling out. Charlo, he's been calling out Andre. We know he wants those fights. Mungia, they don't want no part of him. So until we see him in there against a top-rated middleweight, I, look, eye test, he passes it. But accomplishments yet, we just we we gotta we gotta wait. We gotta be patient to see that before we can crown the man. All right, uh, another one from Aaron. Thank you so much, Aaron. He says, "Yo, Mike." What do you think of this new pay box model? I thought Polly, Roy, Antonio were insanely good on the mic and great commentary. So, yeah, this new pay box thing, I, I, 
I don't, I didn't watch it. Okay. I'm just full disclosure. I didn't watch it. I wasn't interested in the fights necessarily, but I do think that the commentary team's outstanding. I always thought Antonio Tarver did good. I thought Polly was excellent. And I thought Roy always does a good job too. And the mixture of them together, you've got Roy Jones, kind of the country boy twang. And then you've got Paulie, the, the city boy, fast talking, right? And then you got Antonio, who's kind of in the middle of all that. Um, great combo. I, I love that team. I'd watch those guys. But, um, you know, hey, man, another another profile, more boxing. That's great. That's great. I just didn't watch this this particular card. I'll definitely check out some future shows, though. A super chat from Sam. Thank you so much, brother. He says, plant Charlo or Morel in November. And obviously, you're talking about for David Benavides. Right. I forgot about Morel, who I think has one of the 8,000 WBA belts at 168. I'd be good with any three of those. But I got to tell you, the ones I want to see the most are Benavides versus Plant and Benavides versus Charlo. They are more proven fighters, and they need to step their ass up and fight some big opposition. Now, Plant fought Canelo, but that was a payout, right? That was just him selling his belt for $10 million. Other than that, his resume is shit. So is Charlo's. Morel's only got, what, six, seven fights? So he gets a pass. He probably would fight Benavidez next. He probably would. But I got to say, man, I want to see Plant and Charlo um, – I, I, I want to see those guys against Benavides first. But you'll look, I'll take any of those. I really, really would. And by the way, I see a couple of you in the chat saying I was hating on David Benavides. No, I'm not. Let me be clear. The guy did what he was supposed to do. He had a guy in front of him who was absolutely shot and much, much smaller, and he wiped his ass out. He dominated, got him out of there. He was exciting. He sold tickets. All I'm saying is, his resume is not very good. He still hasn't been in with an elite super middleweight in their physical prime. I don't blame Benavidez for that necessarily. I think that's more on his management. All right. But he has made some mistakes outside the ring that have cost him and have delayed his career a little bit. So it is partially his fault. Now, hopefully all that's behind him and he's matured and learned from it. Cool. But I'm not hating on the guy at all, man. I'm being fair. I'm being absolutely fair. So um, Elazir Feliciano says, how about Benavidez versus Canelo? So that's the new PBC LDBC narrative that you guys are going to go with for however many months. Listen, you guys have known for months that Canelo Alvarez signed a two fight deal with the zone to fight Bevel and then fight Golovkin. You guys knew that you knew that before Benavidez agreed to fight David Lemieux. And that was even a thing. Okay. So you're having short memories right now, and you're trying to reach to the next guy that you hope, the next PBC guy, to beat Canelo, because that's a win for you guys somehow. Would I like to see Benavidez versus Canelo? Yes. Is it going to happen in 2022? No. Do I even think it's ready? Do I think that fight has properly blossomed and is a good fight right now? No, I don't. I want to see Benavidez prove he is who we think he is by fighting and beating either Caleb Plant or Jamal Charlo. That's what I want to see first. And you could check my record on this. I've been consistent about this all along. I said the same thing about Caleb Plant. I said the same thing about Billy Joe Saunders. I said the same thing about all of them. 
I want these guys to prove themselves by fighting each other. Then you get the main man. It's the same shit I've been saying at 160. Canelo's going to fight whoever the fuck he wants. And we already know he signed a contract to fight Golovkin. That's still the biggest fight in boxing that can be made south of heavyweight. It really truly is commercially. So you guys being desperate to see Benavidez fight Canelo because he just flattened a completely shot David Lemieux seven years after Golovkin flattened a prime David Lemieux at middleweight. Slow down. Pump your brakes. Relax a little bit. Relax a little bit. To take the easy road. See, uh, oh, Jesus, dude. I'm listen, Elizier Feliciano. I'm assuming that you're an alt account. You're one of several alt. Maybe you're not, but what you're saying is the exact. You guys are fucking parrots, dude. I've seen these tweets for the last 48 hours saying the exact thing, the exact same thing you're saying that Canelo's taking the easy road by fighting Golovkin, as if fighting Golovkin is somehow an easier fight than fighting David Benavidez. Look at Benavidez's resume. <clears throat> resume. Compare it to Golovkin's. Go back and watch the 24 rounds Triple G and Canelo had together and then explain yourself. Because what you're saying don't make sense. Oh, it drives me nuts, you guys. You guys are fucking parrots. Sam A with a super chat. Thank you again, Sam. He says, Samson said plant Charlo or Morel, not Canelo. Thank you for bringing that up. Samson Lefkowitz, who uh, represents David Benavidez, said flat out Saturday night, we're not going after Canelo. Everyone shut up about that fight. That's not what we're doing. He didn't say we're not ready for it. He didn't say that out loud, but he sure alluded to it. And he said, we're going for, as Sam said, we're going for Plant, Charlo, or Morel, which makes a lot more sense. It makes a lot more business sense for PBC to keep that in-house. And it makes a lot more sense for Benavidez's team developmentally to go that route first. I think they're going to go for plant because I think they're going to try to promote that a certain way. I, I hate the way they're going to try to promote that fight, but that's how they do it over there. And it is a marketable fight because plant just fought Canelo. So if Benavidez could go in there and destroy plant in less rounds than it took Canelo to do it, it builds up hype over there uh, with his fans. Okay, um, Trey Ander with a great comment. He says, why won't the three of those guys fight each other? Thank you. Exactly, Trey. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. S. Gonzalez says, we want Benavidez versus Charlo. Thank you. Thank you. Twal says, Alicia Feliciano, easy route. Did you watch that Beevil fight? Yeah, really easy. Thank you. All right, I'm not going to read any more of that guy's comments because he keeps going and it's ridiculous. Oh, God, dude, you guys, you guys all have the same brain. How can all, how can so many people say the exact same thing and have the exact same thought? How does that happen? The power of social media. Anyway, okay, preview time. Let me drink some water. Are you guys ready for a fair and honest review? I'm sorry, preview of this fight between Gervonta Davis and Rolando Romero. Are you ready? Are you, are you buckled in? <laughs> you ready to have some fun? All right. This Saturday, May 28th, not a whole lot going on in the boxing world. The entire boxing universe is swallowed up by one event. 
the magical, mystical pay-per-view extravaganza between Tank and Raleigh at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Because what do you do with a guy from Baltimore and a guy from, I don't even know where the hell Raleigh's from. You throw him in Brooklyn with the hipsters who serve Sri Racha with their Asian fusion dishes in their corny little coffee shops. God, they've really ruined Brooklyn. Anyway, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, USA, Showtime, pay-per-view. This is uh, this is a, a coming together of TGB promotions and Mayweather promotions, Leonard Ellerby, who's been really, really pushing this thing on social media in a really inclusive way that's bringing people together. Leonard Ellerby's tweets have been very inclusive. They've been bringing people together. And he's not at all doing this divisive, regressive, us versus them thing. It's it's really been a positive experience, this promotion. Anyway, Gervonta Davis versus Rolando Romero. 12 rounds for one of the 5,000 WBA belts. I guess this is going to be lightweight because the WBA lets Davis fight. They let him decide what division he's going to fight in to defend their Reggie belts. Remember against Santa Cruz, I think he got to decide, eh, I think I'm going to defend this one. We'll just show up at this weight. So I don't even, I think it's happening at 135, but I'm not even really sure. The undercard. Um, I guess I can mention this real quick. Irizlany Lara fighting Gary Spike O'Sullivan for another one of the WBA uh, Reggie belts. The WBA regular belt is basically the PBC belt, right? That's basically what it is. Jesus Ramos versus Luke Santa Maria, junior middleweights. Eduardo Ramirez versus Luis Melendez, 10 rounds, junior lightweights. So this is an absolute dog shit undercard for a pay-per-view. We're not really going to break down those fights. Let's talk about the main event. Okay. Let me just say this. I understand. If you're, if you're watching this show, chances are you're a diehard boxing fan. All right? If you're watching this show, you're a degenerate like me and you watch everything. And... There's two groups of people, actually just three groups of people that are going to watch this fight. The first group are diehard Gervonta Davis fans. And there's a handful of them out there. There really are. And they will watch him fight anybody, right? He could punch a tree and they'll watch it. They'll, if he goes over, oh, look at that pine tree. I'm going to fuck it up. And it's on pay-per-view. They'll watch it because they're Tank Davis fans. So there's that one group, okay? And they're just being loyal Tank Davis fans. Then there's a group of people in the boxing sphere and they have certain names and this, that I'm not going to name the names, you know, certain YouTube boxing communities and, and Twitter boxing communities and stuff that are tied to a particular platform. And there's a political agenda and a, a promotional political agenda for them to watch this fight. They're going to watch. And they're also, their constituents are going to watch the people that they have duped into thinking that this is a really competitive fight between a four-time world champion and a power-punching, grizzled veteran, undefeated fighter who's going to come in there and could, you know, punch through steel because he hits so hard, right? And he's got a real chance to score the upset knockout. So there's that group. Then there's the group that I think most of you watching this program are. You know what this is. You know that this is about as competitive as Janibek. Alan Canuli versus Danny Dignam was. It's pretty much the same matchup as David Benavidez versus David Lemieux. That's what it's going to be. That's what you're getting. It's being sold as a pay-per-view. It's being sold as this big 
massive event. It's basically the Canelo Golovkin rubber match. It's on par with that, right? That's how it's being promoted. But you know, that's all bullshit. The Rubes, the Yokels, the Simpletons fall for that nonsense. You don't. You're going to watch this because it's the circus. And you got to watch the circus. The circus is coming to town. The freak show. They got bearded ladies. They got huge midgets. You got to check that shit out. This is the train wreck you can't look away from, right? So if you have the financial means to to purchase the pay-per-view, you're going to watch this because of the freak show atmosphere of it. Knowing full well what you're getting and understanding that going in, right? You're not going to feel ripped off when you get what we're all kind of expecting to happen. You just want to see if there's an unexpected moment, a fan man incident, an ear biting incident, because you just don't know, right? And that's why a lot of you guys are going to watch this. I get it. I'm not hating on you at all. Enjoy the freak show. This is basically, remember the jackass movies, right? Those are movies where... (laughs) Guys were stapling their nutsack to their leg or or eating dog shit or something, right? And millions of people watch those movies. Why? Because it's a freak show and you got to watch. Sometimes you just want to watch idiocy and craziness, right? So people went to the movies and paid to watch that shit. Remember Jerry Springer? I don't even know if Jerry Springer still has a show, but he did for decades and it was very, very popular. And it was just Hicks beating the shit out of each other. That's what it was. And people watched it because it's a freak show. So this fight, and I'm not even saying this in a derogatory, demeaning way. Everybody involved in this promotion knows what I'm saying is true. This fight is the jackass of boxing. It is the Jerry Springer of boxing pay-per-views. So if you got some free time, there's no other boxing on this weekend. There's not a whole lot else going on in sports right now, right? So If you got some free time and you want to kick back and hang out with the boys and watch the freak show, hey, man, no harm, no foul. Enjoy yourself. You're not going to get no hate from me. The only thing that I have any issue with is the promotion and the management, Espinoza, Ellerby, Mayweather, and and the the stands out there in the boxing media with some of the American uh, boxing media sites and stuff promoting this as this massive championship attraction, right? Uh, Between a pound for pound fighter and this, this young hungry lion, right? That's all bullshit. So you might dupe some rubes and some yokels into buying this, this fight. Yeah. I would, I would say if you're, if you're a rube watching this, listening to this program, I don't think any of you can be, if you're watching this program, but um, just be aware of what you're buying. Just know what you're getting. That's all. And by the way, Ronda Romero is not undefeated. He clearly lost to Jackson Marinez in 2020. If you don't believe me, find that fight on YouTube and watch it. One judge had that 118-110 for Raleigh. I think one judge had it almost as wide. There was only one who had it close. But all three judges gave it to him, a fight that he clearly lost. Right? The promotion needed him to stay undefeated. Because they have wanted to make this matchup for quite some time. COVID delayed it. And then some legal stuff outside the ring for for Raleigh, um, which he was uh, um, vindicated of. Um, That delayed it. 
but they've tried to make this fight multiple times. They've wanted to do this for a while. And that's why Rowley got that robbery gift decision over Jackson Marinas. By the way, Jackson Marinas, you know what his level of a fighter is? His very next fight, he goes up against Richard Comey and is flattened KO6, knocked out in six rounds, hasn't fought since. So the guy that Raleigh Romero went the distance with and got outboxed by, it's not like Raleigh just got caught with a shot and knocked out or something. He was outboxed by this dude over what, 10, 12 rounds, whatever. I think it was 10 rounds. Yeah, actually, it might have been a 12 round. Yeah, I think it was a 12 round fight, actually, because it was for one of the Reggie belts, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I believe. So he was outboxed 12 rounds, right, by this dude. And then Marinez goes up and fights a top 10 lightweight and gets smoked. KO6 hasn't fought since. That's Marinez's level. He beat Raleigh. And now Raleigh's headlining a pay per view against Tank. By the way, all my trolling this week, all my polls, everything I just said about this fight, it's not me hating on Javante Davis, who I already said I'm a fan of as a fighter. He's fun and explosive and exciting in the ring. It's not me even hating on Raleigh Romero. Get your money, dude. You know, Do what you got to do to get your money. You're doing a good job promoting this fight. You're getting your cash out. Good for you. But it's me having a little fun with the promotion and the ridiculousness of it and me having a little bit of fun with the fanboys and their insanity. I have been attacked by several tank defenders this week. And I just, I laugh at this shit. You guys, you've seen me share some of the tweets. Um, and, and I've been attacked before by different elements of the boxing community here in America, the boxing media, the PBC stands, uh, these guys, some of them block me on social and stuff. It's hilarious. All because I just tell the truth about this stuff. I'm the same guy that beat the shit out of Top Rank and ESPN for the Tyson Fury lineal stuff. I'm the same guy. I'm the same guy that beat up Golden Boy Promotions and Canelo Alvarez during the whole Clembuterol scandal and some of the uh, double standards that were coming out of that part of the world. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm pretty fair across the board, but all I'm, all I'm trying to do is tell the truth about what this fight is. So if you're interested in the freak show and you want to watch the circus that's coming to town by the fight, just understand what you're getting. And for people that rate Javante Davis, top 10 under pound for pound list, you have an agenda. You're either really, really ignorant and don't know you're, you're, as I would say, a rube or a yokel. I love those words. I love both of them. A simpleton's good too. Um, you're either one of those or you're someone who actually is knowledgeable, but you have an agenda. There's a dark side to what you're doing. Tank Davis is not a pound for pound fighter, not because he doesn't have the talent, but because he doesn't have the credentials. And this fight is not doing anything to help that situation at all. So I hope I made that very, very clear. A couple more super chats we got to get to. One from Papa Chubby. I appreciate it, brother. He says, uh, Heath going to get his ass whooped. <laughs> okay. It took me a second to figure out what you were doing there. Oh, my God. Uh, that was pretty good, man. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> okay. 
Ah, uh, Jesus. Okay. Super chat from one foot out the door. Thank you very much. He says, PBC presents Tank versus Loma 2025. Yeah, pretty much. It, it, by the way, they really want that fight because I'm not going to get political. But if you look at the guys they're putting Tank Davis in against, there's a very clear record. It's either guys from... Uh, <laughs> It's not guys who share the same demographic information as Javante Davis. Let me just put it that way. And they are using certain things as a wedge issue to promote him to people seeking out the lowest common denominator. There. Did I get that out politically correct way? I hope I did. Trey Anderson, Mike read that beautifully. (laughs) And Papa Chubby says, yes, he did. You know why? Because I didn't know what it was. So I just read it as you spelled it. The reason why that works, Papa Chubby, Chad, is because your spelling was on point. Your spelling was on point. That's why that worked. So it was your spelling that crushed that. Mandelia says, Loma clearly ducking tank. There's that sarcasm again. Obviously, Mandeli is joking. Uh, What's funny is, if and when Tank's team decides they want to go after Loma. I mean, he's going to be out of the ring all year. So expect him and his team to start calling out Loma next year, coming off of a war, literally a war. Um, not, not, I'm not using it as a metaphor to describe a fight. I'm saying literally a war. He will be returning to the ring from a war. That's when Tank and his team will start calling him out. And all of Tank's fans will say he duck in, blah, blah, blah. And then some people in the media will, will bring demographics into it and racial stuff. And people are going to ignore the headlines, tons of headlines we have right from Floyd Mayweather's mouth saying, we're not fighting Loma anytime soon. The headlines are all there. Those stories were all printed. Those interviews are all out there. They're going to pretend that that never happened. Okay. I think we're good with the review preview. We are now ready to go to the phones. So let's do it. Let's jump right to this first one here. We have got 317. You're on TNC. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? It's uh, Jack. It's been Jack. a while, man. It's Jack, what's up, man? Uh, How you doing? Good. Hey, did I congratulate you on the, the kid yet? I don't think I did over the phone. No, no. Um, Thanks, man. I know you did, I think, on Twitter Dude, and stuff no, like that, no. but yeah such a big deal man this is like huge it's in, yeah like something little like congrats like your fight that's that's minuscule shit compared, yeah <laughs> compared to this that's minuscule yeah like that, it made me realize that congrats. it's uh changed my outlook on things it made me realize how small some of this other shit is you know yeah and also one thing that i've noticed you know how i love to bet on the underdog so People saying Jackie betting on Rolly this week, and I'm like, yo, I love betting for the underdogs. <laughs> betting on Rolly is like lighting your money on fire. Yeah, right, <laughs> dude. But a lot of people are. <laughs> I think Trey was telling me today that no. he saw the the uh, the betting line move this week and get tighter, and that's because there are idiots coming into town putting money on Raleigh. I can't believe it, dude. Dude, it's not even close. But hey, the. Lemieux Benavides, I was wrong about that. I was I wasn't picking Lemieux to win, but I said he has a good chance. And dude, not gonna lie, and Lemieux is so tough. He has that uh, one punch power mentality. Yeah. He was getting his shit rocked and kept backing Benavides up the entire time and still trying to knock him out. And he, it was scary, dude. I got uncomfortable watching that. 
it was a big mismatch and i actually like got like like my heart was because i was like dude this 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 is horrible i would be so scared if a big guy like benavid is just throwing punches at me dude it, it just made me so uncomfortable watching that like i don't think i've ever been that uncomfortable watching a fight before it was just a destruction dude yeah, and after the fight, uh, Lemieux is slurring his words a little bit. He, you know, he sounds a little beat up. Well, I, I hope he retires, man. Well, no, no. Well, he's French. He always well that too. Like, yeah, you know, he's like, he is French Canadian. Yeah, so. Everyone was saying he's slurring. Yeah, I didn't hear him slurring. I just heard him talk the way he usually does. But he was that's like, a good uh, point, dude. He stood around for the fight interview. Who does that? Only tough. He got knocked out in three rounds and stood for the post fight interview one of the toughest dudes in boxing and dude, the whole time I was on the edge of my seat because I was just like man if, if he gets one punch in might be it for Benavidez I was just saying to, I was saying that to myself but I was wrong uh yeah I was wrong but um what do I have to say uh Canelo Triple G gonna be announced and you know how I get these feelings where I'm just like hey man Usyk uh Joshua I'm telling all of you uh that Usyk's gonna beat him you like and then I said the same thing for Canelo Bivol I'm getting a big feeling this is going to be a 50-50 fight, and I'm not getting the feeling that Triple G is going to win, but I definitely am telling y'all, it's definitely not going to be a blowout, like you guys say. Triple G is not getting knocked out. I can assure you that. I'm betting money on people. There's no way in hell Triple G gets knocked out. And um, uh, Derek Williamson, you actually do an impression of Lemieux post-fight. Um, yeah, I'll do the rest of my Canelo Triple G prediction in the Lemieux voice. Okay, so... Um, you know, I could see it. Um, it Canelo could win. You know, no, no, no. I'll be too slow <laughs> if I do that. But um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, dude. I'm so like, you know, the office meme where it's like, oh my god, it's happening, it's happening. Mm. That was what I tweeted today when Canelo three was announced. Like, dude, I am so hyped and excited because this is Triple G's revenge. This is his revenge. He has a good chance of winning. Would you? Wouldn't you think so, Triple G? Okay, take away the Darvinchenko fight and take away he's forty years old. Just go on the Murata fight and him having one year out of the ring. Would you still be picking Canelo so confidently? No, you wouldn't. I'm, am I wrong there? No, I, I, I do. People keep saying this is going to be like Canelo's going to knock him out. So I'm like, did you not see the 24 rounds these guys shared? Uh, I get it that Golovkin's older, but he knows how to fight Canelo. He knows how to fight him. So I, I absolutely expect this to be a competitive fight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Uh, two more things I wanted to touch on. So last time, I remember you guys were talking about Munguia and Triple G. Dude, I would see that fight going exactly like Murata Triple G. What do you think? I, I would say it looks exactly like that fight. Triple G knocks him out late, has a little moment early, but I would see that looking like exactly like Triple G Murata. Style-wise, it's a little different. And I, I think Munguia has got a little more substance than Murata. I could be wrong. But I think he's got he's improved some things. So I he's more physical. He's just a more physical fighter. I think it'd be more competitive. That's just my prediction. That's my gut feel anyway. But I do I would favor Golovkin over Mungia. I would. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one thing. One more thing I wanted to cover on. Yeah, man. It's been forever since I was I was on here last time trying to get on, but I just didn't get on in time. Oh, um, so many callers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Devin Haney, George Cambosos. I know that's in two weeks, but I just want to pick. I want to pick that one. So, um, dude, I want Cambosos to win so bad, but I think I'm gonna lean towards Haney. But who knows? I mean, he proved us wrong with Kiyosimo. 
And anyone saying Haney's going to stop him is out of their mind. I mean, that's just not happening. Yeah, I, I kind of got the same feel, Jack, that I, I just think Haney and his team are confident for a reason. Also, ta- top rank signed Haney. They see something there and they want in. I think that Haney's going to beat him. That's just my prediction. But I do think it will go all 12. That's my feel. Yeah, fair point, man. All right, man. You have a good, uh, you have a good rest of your show. I'll be listening, and uh, hell yeah, you know Triple G has that chance, baby. Yeah, I can't wait for that one, man. All right. Have a good one, Jack. Yeah. You too. Yeah, man. As that fight gets closer, I think people are going to get more and more hyped up for it. Um, oh man, my good friend Joshua Eubanks with the super chat, guys. I've known this guy, Josh, for 15 years. Shit, probably more than that. We've done a lot of dumb shit together. Me and Josh should be in prison for all the dumb stunts we've pulled. I hope you're doing well, man. Uh, thanks for being on here. Uh, and then we got a super chat from Sam. Thanks again, Sam. He says, uh, finally a good corner that saved their guy. Sounded like his jaw was broken. Another minute and maybe RIP Lemieux. Good job by a corner. Yeah, again, I think the plan was simple. Go balls out. Give it a few rounds. See what happens. They came up short, but it just seemed to me that David Lemieux was completely content with what happened. And that just, that's the body language I got from them that, um, that's, that was kind of their plan. Just go out there and make a short night of it. All right, back to the phones. Let's get Nacho on the line here. Nacho, what's up, brother? Hey, what's going on, Mike? Um, so just, to start off. I totally agree with your, uh, analysis of uh, Lemieux Benavides. I mean, he really had no other chance to win that fight other than to try to see if he could go out there, catch uh, Benavides cold with something, right. and then, you know, maybe knock him out. Other than that, he had no shot. And Benavides, to his credit, he went out there and, you know, he kind of took his time and he, he landed some uh, heavy shots and wobbled him, and then, you know, he ended up taking him out. Um, I want to give credit to Harvey Dotso, the ref, he actually tried to stop the fight even before the corner did. Oh, you're right. The corner was the one that said... It was like the end the of the first round, the right? Wanted him to, yeah. yeah. The, the corner wanted him to go back out there and try to see if he could do something. And I think once they saw the writing on the wall, that was it. You know, it was over. And glad that they stepped in and did it because that would have been a brutal knockout if they had let him keep going back out there. He was just getting beat up and he had no shot. Um, the one thing, Mike, that's really aggravating about Benavides and most PBC fighters, Samson said, uh, during the press conference after the fight, he literally said that Benavides isn't going to fight again until October or November. And I'm thinking, why the fuck does he need five to six months for another fight? Yeah. The guy just fought two and a half rounds yep. and he needs six months in between fights. That's the problem with the PBC, Mike. Instead of giving these guys more fights to keep them active, build their profile, and actually make them into stars, they would prefer to basically have them fight twice a year and then whine about why they're not bigger stars. Like It's unbelievable how predictable their their building of fighters is. I think if he was at anybody else, I think Benavides would be back out there in August or September, yep. there's no reason for him to be sitting six months on his ass. That that's ridiculous. Um, and then with uh, Janabek and um, Dignam, like you said, same thing. 
we all knew what was coming. We knew that Dignam had no shot. But the way um, Janabek took him out was awesome. Yeah. The way he uh, took him apart with the jab, you know, kind of went to the, you know, up down on his body and then eventually caught him with that beautiful uppercut he never saw coming and laid him out. That was awesome to see him do that. But I think Mikey's going to have to go the same route as Golovkin. He's going to have to go out there. He's going to have to keep knocking out these C and B level guys, become a star, and then have no choice but to force guys in that division to fight him. Because outside of that, he's not going to get big names to step in with him unless he is a uh, risk worth taking as far as the money is concerned. Because outside of that, he's not going to get the big fight unless he becomes a, a draw himself, you know? So I hope Top Rank does follow the Golovkin route and gets this guy back out there soon and just has him beating up on guys and, you know, taking names and kicking ass because that's all they can really do with him at this point. There's really no other way to build it. And then uh, with Buatzi, uh Richard, that was a really good fight, Mike, but I agree with you. Um, I think there was no robbery. I think Buatzi was the uh, the clear winner in that fight. Richards gave him as good of a test as you're going to give a guy on his level, giving a, a prospect slash contender in uh, Buatzi to get. But, yeah, this is another thing about um, fans nowadays. Guys love to complain about um, prospects not being tested and not and having cherry pick fights.